0: really cognizant of why I was put it into your health is of course to share the First Nations perspective on health but also to add to anything that I can to improve services overall so it doesn't mean it's just all about First Nations.
1: So another way to put it is at the level you're working at is about the vision and at the CEO level is about on the ground and how to get there.
0: You know, we talk about finances and risk analysis and all that, but at the end of the day, it's really about services and how we take care of the people in the interior.
2: Hello and welcome back to Interior Voices, an Interior Health podcast series where we explore the intersection of health and culture in the workplace, our everyday lives and patient care. I'm Beth Blue, communication support for Aboriginal Health. In Episode 20, Host Vanessa Mitchell talks with IH board member Alan Lewis about his journey to the board, reconciliation, and more
1: First of all, thank you for coming. We definitely wanted to invite you as being a representative for the Board of Directors for Interior Health, so maybe take the opportunity to introduce yourself.
0: Well, I just want to say thanks for having me. My name is Alan Lewis. I'm a member of the Indian Band, and of course I sit at the Interior Health Board as well as the Health Council of British Columbia, the Health mm-hmm. uh, Okanagan Indian Band Chief and Council. That pretty well takes care of my daytime hours. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest of it I try to spend with my grandsons and granddaughters.
1: Awesome, thank you. It would be great to hear how you would acknowledge the territory.
0: On behalf of my Chief and Council, I'd like to welcome everybody to the northern part of the Okanagan territory or the Silks territory. We're the ones that are responsible for the northern part of the territory. What I mean, we, I mean the Okanagan Indian Band welcome everybody that live, play, and work here.
1: Thank you. We'd really enjoy hearing about your roles prior to the board and then what led you to work on the Interior Health Board.
0: I always tell my friends that most of my life I've been around social work, whether it's drug and alcohol counseling or my mom was a social worker, and also she worked for the Minister of Child and Family. When I grew up, I thought, do I want to pursue something else. Midway through my 30s, I got recruited to sit on the board at Round Lake Treatment Centre, and the journey began. Shortly after that, I became a member of council for the Okanagan Indian Band, and the natural progression for me was to become the chair of the Social Development Committee. And then from there, I became the nation health rep for the ONA, and from there, I think I became one of the three reps for the Health Council of British Columbia pretty honored that 54 communities in British Columbia in the interior region asked me to be one of their reps for the British Columbia Health Council. So I've been involved for better than half my life, I think. And it's been a passion. The more I get into it, the more I realize how important it is for First Nations to get involved, especially the men. I mean, the women always seem to take care of us and take care of the children. It's a good thing that I think The First Nation men are starting to realize how important health is and they've got to acknowledge some of the issues they run into in this world that we live in nowadays. Back even 20 years ago, talking about men's health issues, especially in First Nations communities, it was a hard thing to do. At that time, Chief Fabian Alexis, him and I sat down and he'd start talking about men's health with me. That's kind of when I got the push to start talking more about men's health and what it means to be on top of all the the things that can go wrong as Mm. you get into your late 40s and early 50s. So on my way to being an Interior Health Board of Directors member, I think there was a lot of people that kind of encouraged and pushed me in this direction. And I was pleased that the Minister of Health Gave me a chance to sit at the board, so here I am.
1: Excellent. I really liked how you shared the story about the journey around men's health and the importance of talking about it. Because I think sometimes it's great for us to think about it globally, but how does it work for us individually?
0: I'm in a position now that I can actually talk about it more and more. People actually come to me and say, hey, you know what? Here's my story. For example, Lee Wilson, a member of council that just passed away, he told me his story and how he should have went and got his lungs checked out. He says, at the end of the day, he says, I kept putting it it off, and then summer fire season come along, and he says, my lungs were sore, and then it really got kind of sore. And he goes, I'm just going to chalk it up to the fires and the smoke. Anyways, time he got in, in October, the following fall, he'd been diagnosed with lung cancer he says whenever you tell your stories he says make sure that men know about getting in and getting help he says i went in too late he says share my story so i do i know it's hard because he's just left us a short time ago but he's one of the people i grew up with a few years older than me so it's one of those people that were in my community forever he's a relation and somebody I looked up to and so i do share his story now
1: Mm, thank you for that and that is so important And it's also really important to unpack a little bit of why it is that our men won't go for prevention, right? Thank you for sharing that
0: piece. I try to make sure I'm educated on the issues and try to make everybody around me feel comfortable. So if they don't feel like talking to I definitely don't push it. Mm -hmm. When they do, I definitely take the time and talk about, you know, prevention. It's huge. And nobody likes to talk about going in for that appointment, but please please do.
1: The next part that I want to talk about is about your relationship with Interior Health prior to being on the board. And can you tell us a bit about the Partnership Accord?
0: Partnership Accord, when I first arrived, they were still at the point where the relationship was just starting to develop or maybe well on its way, I guess. But I truly believe unless you have a relationship with one another, it's hard to build some kind of work plan that's meaningful. You can talk about it and make all the plans you want but until you actually believe in the partnership and want to make a difference and that's everybody that's included in the partnership i don't think it really goes anywhere and then you have instead of understanding you just have a meeting i guess and Mm. you're checking off boxes you're not really moving anywhere, and it's just mm-hmm. time and space that nobody wants to be in because it, it's not making a difference. I got there just when they were starting to move forward, and and it was really good uh, to see. And and now the place where we're at, where the CEO, she really believes in, in trying to make a difference, and, and to pick up where we left off with the last CEO, Susan Brown, made that commitment. She's not jumping in both feet first, but she's making her way. And from my my feeling, is mm-hmm. she's making her way in cautiously and trying to do the right thing and put her own kind of stamp on it with progress that makes sense and I can say the same with this chair of Doug Cochran when him and I talk he wants to help but he wants to make sure that he's not duplicating services with First Nations Health Authority compared to what we do with Interior Health which makes perfect sense resources even though it sounds like a lot of it is a lot of money but when you actually break it down to the population and numbers on the ground it, it's not a whole lot of money there's probably never enough money so we've got to be cautious when we move ahead of how we spend our money and the resources that we put into the community they've got to make sense and they've got to work for everybody so i'm happy that i'm learning so much at interior health and and getting a better understanding of how interior health works compared to for example what first nations health looks like because we deal with communities on reserve we don't get to deal with issues that happen around the hospital mm-hmm. or with other regional issues like actually a good a good example I wanted to talk about today is when our members go to Vancouver um, they fall out of interior health's realm and go into coastal health so if they go down there for a specialist operation whether it's a heart transplant or lung transplant or whatever it may be we have community members that end up in the lower mainland somewhere trying to recover so now how do we work together with coastal house and that's something that we probably have to move ahead as a nation i would think figuring out how we work with another authority especially when we do so well i or i think we're doing really well here at the interior health and pulp table and 54 first nations we've built that relationship and everybody's getting a better understanding of who each other is and and what their roles are and and why they have to behave the way they behave sometimes both have people they have to answer and um I think Mm. the more we work together, the more we'll understand. So now we've got to kind of create that relationship with Coastal health. so when our people go to the coast, we can understand and and work with what services they deliver down there.
1: And it would be interesting to see how the two health authorities can work with each other because even if it comes from a nation piece, there's still platforms and information that needs to be health authority to health authority.
0: Exactly. When we talk about moving ahead, I know that the CEOs meet at a tripartite agreement table. And maybe that's one of the things that we can bring up and maybe they can talk a little bit about it. At the end of the day, I think it's definitely the 54 nations Mm -hmm. meeting with Mm -hmm. coastal health Mm -hmm. and seeing how we can better deliver services to First Nations that go down for those special operations.
1: Absolutely. And just kind of thinking of that role of continuum of care, right? No matter where a person is. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hopefully
0: it's for the First Nation, it's seamless. I know when it comes to... Working with Interior Health, that's what we're trying to do between the First Nations and the non-First Nations is try to make it seamless so people feel comfortable going into the hospitals or going into laboratory somewhere. It's just a trust issue, and I think it all started back in residential school and maybe even before that. So the hill we got to climb is building that trust. We may say things at the boardroom table or even at the administration level here at Interior Health. It's how are we communicating with the members out there I think that's the big hill we got to climb and I think we've got the right team on the ground and they're dedicated to making it a better place to come and have services for First Nations.
1: They know that you're wearing several hats at one time sometimes. And so I know that you've referred a lot to the First Nations, but also as an Interior Health Board of Director, right, we think of Aboriginal peoples, First Nations, Inuit, Met. So what does that look like, you know, when we think about people who are away from home and the urban and rural communities of Aboriginal peoples?
0: Wearing the Interior Health hat, I'm really cognizant of why I always put it Interior Health is, of course, to share the First Nations perspective on health. But also to add to anything that I can to improve services overall. So it doesn't mean it's just all about First Nations. Mm -hmm. It's improving health for everybody. So I try to bring that lens to the table.
1: Especially with all of your years of wisdom with health in general, not just with the First Nations focus. How how recent were you appointed to the board? January 1st. January 1st this year.
0: Awesome. So less than a year old.
1: Less than a year old, you get to say that still. That's right, yeah. Still the newbie. You're the newbie. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things that would be really great to hear is, what does that mean to you that you've been appointed? You know, you shared a little bit about your journey to this point and how there was encouragement. Put your name forward, and now you're here. So what does that mean to
0: you, being a newbie? I was really honored. The chair, Doug Cochran, he was one of the people that asked. I was really really honored that he asked. And then I was in Vancouver for, for I think it was maybe a minister's conference and Minister Health walked up and he was saying, I've heard about you. And then I see that the board chair at Interior Health has put your name forward. And I've been asking around and your name popped up in quite a few places. So he says, we're going to put your name forward as a board member for Interior Health. I was just like, wow, (laughs) (laughs) a chance to share my life experiences, my thoughts at the board level of Interior Health. What an honor. I'm I never thought I'd get that chance, but now that I have, I'm definitely going to share my opinion. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. And, you know, when you start to think about community and you talk about being from a rural community and the different things that you've been able to experience to kind of broaden your scope and now to be at the highest level of a health authority within the interior region, is it's a pretty significant feat. You know, there have been Aboriginal representations sitting there. Diane Jules is one of them, and then before her there were other people sitting in that seat, and now to have two, that's really amazing. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that it's a trailblazing opportunity to really have it become the new norm. Yeah, where it doesn't feel like it's a trailblazing opportunity. It just is.
0: That's right. If this becomes the norm, I think society is a better place. When we always look after the weakest people in your community, some of our First Nations people are in that place where they they need the most help they can get. We talk about everybody in general when it comes to the interior health at the board. Always impressed about how people I worry about the general public. You know, we talk about finances and mm-hmm. risk analysis and all that. But at the end of the day, it's really about services and how we take care of the people in the interior. I'm really fortunate to be at the board with all the people that are there. Their backgrounds are really diverse. They have compassion. I don't know what to expect when I got to the table, but... When I got there, everybody was really open minded, wanted to hear my story, wanted to share their story with me as well as uh, their life's experiences. Some of it was in common with me. A lot of people came from a rural community, mm-hmm. uh, may not be in First Nations, but we have a lot in common. Even though we're in different places and with different people, a lot of things. We have in common so you know i think just building those relationships is so important
1: and i think another part of that is acknowledging that aboriginal peoples have skills and knowledge and leadership skills and all those pieces that qualify to be at a board level you've shared the many years of experience and knowledge and skills and conversations that you've been doing on the journey that you've been on that brought you to this place And so that's, I think, one of the big things I'm hopeful for is that our own people will start to see that it's possible and not be worried about going to a board (laughs) or being appointed to a board. But also the broader community can see that it's not just about creating space. It's about acknowledging there's very qualified people out there who are Aboriginal who could be doing these roles.
0: I agree. And I think we have so much to add.
1: So I'm going to kind of bring us back to a specific question around your role as the board. What do you do as a board of director? (laughs) What does that mean on a day-to-day basis for Alan? What do you guys do on the fifth floor?
0: (laughs) Well, it's broad. I knew it was going to be broad when I got there. For example, when we talk about finances and overseeing three-point-some-billion-dollar health authority, even a summary of the finances (laughs) was 1,100 pages for the board members to read. And the ever-changing governance role, looking after governance is huge. That's the committee I'm on. I've got great leadership there. So I'm just kind of adding what I've learned through other board councils I've been on. So it kind of fits really well with what I'm doing. Mm. And of course, there's always the negotiations for doctors and nurses and technicians. You know, that's always heavy. That's the (laughs) tough part sometimes. I (laughs) I believe everybody deserves to make a good living, especially Mm -hmm. when you we are dealing with health. Money shouldn't be something you have to go home and worry about. For me, it's just like you've got enough worries at work. <laughs> Money shouldn't be one of them. But we have a set budget, and we've got a mandate letter from the health mm-hmm. minister, and, and we've got to make it work. If we don't, the minister has the right to remove us. So we're pretty cognizant of that. <laughs> so it's it's not all ultimate power up there.
1: <laughs> so a lot of major decision makings across the board.
0: Absolutely. Usually the board chair, they look at your resume and see who fits where. Right. And me, of course, being governance, I fit in the governance.
1: For people who might be interested in becoming a board of of any health authority or board in general it's just good to kind of know what that might all entail
0: you know what even starting at any board at any level i'd encourage everybody you become involved for one thing but it's a learning thing and an understanding doesn't matter which board i've been on good governance fiscal responsibility it's all good stuff when it comes to understanding how any organization works it's a good experience.
1: And what I like too is about your story is you've been on the board for a local nonprofit, right up to a regional right up to a provincial. Have you also been at a national level?
0: I've actually been proxies for a national level but haven't sat on one full-time. Maybe down the road. Yes maybe down the road. Yes
1: and even understanding the difference between operations and governance.
0: That's right. I think a lot of people think because you sit on a board you have control of the operations and that's farthest from the truth we oversee policy and develop policy we work with the CEO but at the end of the day the CEO is responsible for all operations
1: so another way to put it is at the level you're working at is about the vision and at the CEO level is about on the ground and how to get there okay how do you see the importance of these leadership roles in supporting Aboriginal people's families and communities
0: I think just not only building relationships, but I keep Mm -hmm. going back to but representing our people. We have so much to offer, and we're a growing population at Interior Health. I think it's wonderful that people plan to come to work for Interior Health. They get their sciences or whatever they need to come and work at a job they want, whether it's sciences or management for administration. It's a good place to work. It's something that you can build a home and, and a lifestyle around. That, I don't think, was there 20 years ago wasn't on anybody's radar where now there's a bit of a buzz in the community talking about, gee, what are my options? W- you know, What kind of schooling do I need to work at interior health?
1: And it's understandable why you keep coming back to relationships because it's only been a short time that there's been an Aboriginal person on the board. Although there might be some relationships happening on the ground, it needs to happen at middle management and it needs to happen at the highest leadership level. So, evolving from an introductory relationship to a meaningful relationship and eventually to a partnership.
0: That's right. It's not an easy feat. Uh, It's a big ship, 22,000 people.
1: Knowing that you're at this amazing leadership role, what does a culturally safe interior health look like for you?
0: Everybody should be able to walk in that front door and we should be able to take care of them. I hope we get there sooner than later. I know we're going to get there for the sake of everybody, the sooner the better, I think. When it comes to, again, building those relationships with the rural doctors of British Columbia, I met a few of them at a uh, dinner meeting in Vancouver. Jordium said, "We've never met First Nations until we see them in the emergency room or coming um, up Only to surgery. Worst. The worst is when we meet them." He says, "We've got to change that somehow. You know, to really sit down and and get to know them. Um, that's something that majority of the doctors don't do. They just, you know, they just don't have the chance. And what I'm hoping for is that." We start making those opportunities available so both of us can learn and understand each other. I'd love to see that change, and and, um, I hope I'm here for the start of it. It would be nice to see the end where we all have a full understanding and appreciation for each other's background, culture, whatever it might be. I think of what uh, CEO Chris did. Was going up into the communities, into the Williams Lake area, mm-hmm. and going into those communities where you had trouble driving in, and he was changing a flat tire. We all seen that <laughs> picture. It brought a smile to my face. Not that Chris was struggling with a flat tire, <laughs> but he was making the effort to get out into those communities and listen to the people and, and try to understand, you know, where they were coming from. That's an absolutely great start. Now we just need to move past it and start sharing some of the good things, and uh, that will happen.
1: You know, I know in certain areas there was nurse exchanges where the uh, from the hospital yeah. to the community and the community to the hospital to just even understand. Okay, you have the same training, but you work in very different organizations with very different jurisdictions, even federal and provincial. And what does that really look like? And what is the drive and all those things? And then also I know there's been site walkthroughs where community can come in and walk through and emerge and understand what the word triage means and why people might go in front of them yeah. and why they're you know made to wait and it's not actually about who they are, it's about their the level of their injury. A lot of things are happening to create that understanding even within the system but also with the people. So Mm. So tell us about your vision of reconciliation and health care, particularly with this role.
0: When we talk about where people are in their journey, how much they understand First Nations, how much they understand history and, and what happened in the past 150 years, I think it's our duty to try to understand and work through the documents, understanding and try to come to terms with what has happened I think people are starting to openly talk about it and I think once you start talking about something you start having that understanding and you start to learn I think. For me that's the best part, the acknowledgement is one thing but the actually the discussions that come out of it is, is probably for me one of the best things.
1: Mm. Some of the things I think about around reconciliation, I really liked how you talked about knowing that history and knowing how that's crossed over to become a narrative today. Because, you know, even in healthcare, we know that there were not only residential schools, but Indian hospitals and Indian sanatoriums. And so just experiences and lived experiences uh, being dehumanized in those settings of the past does make it seem like a really big thing to come into an institution of health and trust that it will be different. And when you talked about the intergenerational trauma, you know, even if it's not talked about we know that people are not going and accessing health services. You shared the story of Lee. Yep. They're not going for that prevention. So that behavior and pattern continues without that dialogue of why is it that we practice that way? And you know until we do our own work too and recognize that history and the people in our families, then we can start to break those cycles. Just recognizing how does that colonial history translate into the colonial narrative today? And what can we do for our part too? break that down and break the cycle. You know, one of the things I know that my dad always says is although you weren't there and none of us in the room are 200 years or 500 years old because colonization has been around, it's still here and living. So the one thing that we have done is we've inherited this. You weren't there. Well, neither was I. But yet, this is a lived experience that's getting perpetuated, this colonial ideology or way of thinking of Aboriginal peoples. And so it's like, I wasn't here, and you weren't here, but we've inherited it. So how do we come together and get back to those relationships to be able to move forward?
0: I think one of the things that we don't acknowledge a lot of is the success stories. People look past people that are really successful. I think of my Aunt Millie. She was a nurse in the 60s, 70s. Nobody ever acknowledged her. That was a tough battle, you know. Len Marchand was a senator. I can't imagine his march to. I think of one of our matriarchs in our community, Vera Cameron. Was a teacher for years and years. You know all the hard work and and all the things she must have went through. There's tons of stories like that out there where there was good people that worked hard. Those were our role models. And then uh, I think three years ago or four years ago, I was at a nurse graduation at UBCO, and 40 percent of the graduating class we're first nations Oh, mm-hmm. uh, the nursing program so i was like wow in my lifetime it's starting to change
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome.
1: well i want to thank you for your time and for the conversation and for allowing us to interview you we are hearing from frontline all the way up to leadership and leadership yeah. all the way to frontline but i just wanted to close it with if someone wanted to learn more about what you do or reach out to you now that they've heard the podcast, how would they contact you?
0: Oh, they definitely can contact me through my email, either the Okanagan Indian Band. I'm on the website, of course, and as well as Interior Health on their website with my information.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks again.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
1: Neighbor. Neighbor, (laughs) yes.
2: Thank you for listening to Episode 20 of Interior Voices. Visit our website, interiorhealth.ca, voices links to additional information about the IH Board of Directors. Please join us again next time when we continue our Board of Director series with Board Chair Dr. Doug Cochran. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, you can email interiorvoices at interiorhealth.ca. We'd love to hear from you, and don't forget to subscribe to Interior Voices on iTunes. Did I say that? Yeah. (laughs)